Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two quick things. Make sure you download the app. Share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. We are an EWTN affiliate, so you'll have all that content also. And, hey, if you like what Joe and I do, uh, we do our interviews and uh, social and political commentary on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Twitter. So help us out. Like, subscribe, share, and all that fun stuff. Um, So Joe and I always say we're going into the breach, okay? One way that you go into the breach is you talk talk to someone about converting from you know from wherever they were to the catholic church okay because that's not a real popular thing to do in the modern world uh however our our current guest uh and who we are very pleased and honored was gracious enough to join us on the show is tammy peterson and she just converted to the catholic faith and joe and i i saw it on twitter and i told joe i said i'm gonna reach out to tammy peterson i said because i want to talk to anybody i want to know the reasons why they would come into the church, especially someone who's as popular as Tammy is. So I just want to give a quick bio. Some of you may not be familiar with her. Uh, uh, Tammy Peterson, after graduating from high school in 1979, she moved to central Canada where she worked, studied, and was married in 1989. Uh, Tammy raised two children with her husband, Jordan Peterson, and has three grandchildren whom she adores. Uh, Tammy attended university in the 80s and 90s, studying kinesiology and visual art. She owned and operated a massage therapist business for 30 years uh she's taught hatha yoga and practiced kundalini yoga for over 20 years most recently tammy also spent three years working as a logistics consultant uh for her husband jordan organizing his daily itinerary on his sold out worldwide book tour they travel the world they give talks in 140 cities in 2019 and we're going to get into this uh in the conversation in 2019 tammy suffered and recovered from a near fatal illness and this experience changed and deepened her understanding uh, of how life ought to be lived and the last 18 months she toured the united states australia and europe to over 250 cities with her husband this time she opened the lectures at most shows with her personal reflections on the chapters of the book beyond order an antidote to suffering tammy peterson welcome to the front line with joe and joe and welcome to the roman catholic church god bless you sister thanks for coming on the show oh thanks for the invitation just absolutely let's get going this is gonna be a great (laughs) conversation joe resinello i'm gonna hand it over to you and we'll jump in Tammy, we always uh, start the the conversations with a prayer to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Well, God calls interesting people, Tammy. I'll be honest with you. And I think converts 
are the most interesting. We could start with St. Paul. St. Paul was a convert and he changed the world. In many cases, in many ways, Joe and I are. We were always Catholic because we're Italian. You eat pasta on Sunday and you go to church. It's kind of the way, if you're from New Jersey, that's what happens. But that, but it never sunk in. There's a moment in life that you make that decision. It's personal. Um, and I just want to say that. And I could also say this. I made that decision at 22 years old. It was the best decision of my life. I'm 53 now. I never would have met my wife. I have five children. None of that would have happened. None of it. If I continued on the road that I was on. Best decision of my adult life was to take my Catholic faith serious. It's 30 years. I just want to tell you that God has a plan for you. Mark my words. He called you specifically. Trust me on that. And you will do something guaranteed. With that said, let's talk about your beginnings growing up. Religiously speaking, what was the tradition you were grown you grew up in? Break that down for our audience. I think that's a good starting place. Okay. So I grew up in a family of four kids. I was the youngest. Uh, my grandmothers, they were Protestants, both of them. Uh, my grandmother on my dad's side, she played the organ in the church until she was 93 when she passed away. So that was, I never went to church with her, but she had her faith. I, I lived 350 miles north of her. So I just, I watched from afar. And then my mother's mother, she sang in the choir till she was in a nursing home. So both those ladies went to church every Sunday. Um, and my grandmother on my mom's side, she was quite thoughtful. So she would tell me sometimes what she was thinking about in terms of her religious faith. And it was my mother's oldest sister who introduced me to yoga when I was 13 and took me from the church. Now I had left, I had pretty much left because my my siblings left home when I was nine, 10 and 12. And then I was at home with my parents who didn't go to church and I stopped going. So when, once, once my siblings weren't going anymore and weren't active in there, my sister was active in Canadian Girls in Training, CGIT. We all went to CGIT. When she left in grade 12 and went off to university, and that took her from 400 miles away. So they didn't just go down the street to university. They were gone. My siblings were gone. They came home at Christmas, and they came home at Easter. But other than that, I didn't see them unless I traveled far to see them. So I was left there with my parents, and we lived in a northern natural gas and oil town. It had some farming. There were 2,000 people there. There was a small community college associated with it, thank goodness. But it taught uh, Harvey Davidson motorcycle mechanics and um, golf course turf management. So it was, you know, a particular. It was a particular particular regional college. Um, but thank goodness it was there because we had people come from. Kenya, we had people for beekeeping, we had people come from all over the world. And that was our gate into there's a world out there, not just us northern people who are trying, trying to stay warm in the winter is mostly what we spent all of our time doing. But I would say that my religious faith was uh, 
it was it was something that I meditated on, but it wasn't something that was really outwardly taught to me. You know, I, they, my mom and dad sent me to Bible studies in the summertime now and then. It was kind of like a kid's camp. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed learning the stories of the, the Bible. Um, I like to sing in the church. So I like this little light of mine and all the little stories that and the songs that the little kids learned. But I left the church when I was 13, just like a lot of kids do. Like a lot of kids, they don't understand what they are supposed to be doing there and what should hold them there. And the world pulls them away as it pulls people away at all ages. But it definitely seems to pull teenagers away. And so at that point, I decided to start doing yoga my aunt introduced me to yoga one summer. I went out to stay with her and her family because her kids were the same age as me. And she had us tear down a pig barn in the mornings. And then she taught us yoga in the afternoons. And after two weeks, she sent me home with a book. And I did yoga every day. But, you know, I was, a, I was an athletic kid. And it seemed, it seemed reasonable that I would do something physical and that it would have a spiritual component, I thought that kind of made sense to me. Although, because I was from a Christian background, the whole idea of the spirituality of yoga was, you know, I, I don't think it was uh, easily understood. And so I did my best to learn how to meditate and to do the exercises, The they call them asanas. So my... Uh, I became strong and balanced, and I also learned to sit and concentrate, say, on a candle and breathe. And so these were these were good formative exercises because by the time I came to pray, I had a practice of sitting. I had a practice of sitting, and that practice of sitting and attending was a it was a smooth transition to prayer and so my my childhood was loosely spiritual but it wasn't a, a good dogmatic teaching of religion Tammy Peterson is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe Joe Pasillo Joe Racinello we're talking about her conversion to the Catholic Church Tammy let me ask you this um the church teaches okay that there are rays of truth in all religions, okay? But obviously the church proposes the fullness of the truth, all right? That she possesses the fullness of the truth. So I'm just to piggyback what off what you said, I always think in my mind, based on some of the things you were saying, because it kind of mirrors where I was at, is we're all pulled by the world. That's why the prodigal son is probably the most popular parable there is. Um, you know, and you go out there and you go off into that dark place. I did it, Joe. Just as Joe, thank God, came back earlier. I kind of suffered a little bit more feeding the pigs, if if you know where I'm going with that. Um, but I could have gone anywhere, and I actually thought I was going to maybe not come back to the Catholic Church. I remember putting my foot in my mouth with my best friend. I said at one point, I said, "I'm never going back to the Catholic Church." About six months later, I was in confession. Um, talk about that because with those rays of truth, you know it regardless of the worldview or the religion, those could be pulling. 
but you chose the Catholic Church. Um, give us our audience idea of how you how you came to that conclusion. In the last couple of years that I was going to church, I had a question that I posed just to myself. I never asked anyone else, "Where where is Mother Mary in all of this?" I, oh, you're speaking it, our language now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Mother Mary? And it might have been a it might have been a feminist question, right? Because who's who's this God and Jesus Christ? But where's the woman? Where's the woman? So it, it might have been coming from because feminism was taught. Um, and in my family, there was some feminism. I mean, we were Protestants. We were raised Protestants. But my grandmother on my mom's side, she was she had been a Catholic and changed our religion to Protestant. And I didn't know that until I was much older. But I think that she had been reading the feminist narrative brew that we've all been taught. And I think maybe she felt like there was who knows, too much judgment there. And she wanted something that was kinder and uh, easier for her. But I, I really felt like there was something missing. I couldn't understand where Mother Mary was. And so I think that was the, the first, now I feel like that was my first indication that I, had, I, I do have Catholic roots, that I was craving the, uh, the love and the, the support of Mother Mary. And I had no idea what that came from because I was never taught that. So I think it really was in my, in my genetics, in my DNA. I think that I, that was a basis for who I was. So in all those years that I did yoga and I didn't go, to, I, I, I did go to church a little bit. I went to church. I went to a Protestant church when I moved to Montreal. I went for a whole year and the first Sunday of the next year, the, the uh, priest gave the same exact sermon that he'd given the year before. And that was enough for me to say, oh, I found something that negates all of, all of this. I, I don't need to come to church. He's not going to teach me anything. And I gave it up again. So it didn't really take much for me when I was young to find fault. I would find fault and then finding fault, I'd separate myself from God, from the teachings of the church. Again, I would separate myself and then go on my way. My my father taught me to be very self-sufficient. He taught us all to be self-sufficient. You know, when in the 70s, when we were out going out with our friends, he would say, Make sure you're smart and make sure you come home. But it was up to me. He always taught us that it was up to us to get ourselves out of trouble and to find our way forward. There was never any teaching of that there would be help from above. That that wasn't. And it's funny, you know, because I know he read the Bible as a little boy. And I think that my father had faith because now he's 93 and he's the most peaceful old man. Doesn't seem to matter what kind of uh, challenges come his way, he accepts them. And so I think deep down, he's a very religious man, but he never shared that with us. He told us that we we were 
the masters of our destiny, really. And that's a very enlightened idea that that we have uh, that we have everything that we need. And that's obviously not true. It didn't work for me in the end at all. And I think any of us who get to the point where we get on our knees and convert realize that it's that we don't have it in ours, that we're not enough, that we're not enough. If you're just joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, we're being joined by Tammy Peterson. We're discussing her conversion to the Catholic Church. Joe Rossinello. There's a lot to unpack there. I want to talk about truth, the kernels of truth, which are found in religions. The Catholic Church acknowledges that. But the church, as Joe Pasil rightfully said, contains the fullness of truth. I want to talk a little bit about absolute truth versus relativism. And I think this is at the heart of what you and your husband do and why it's successful, because truth is written on the hearts of all men and women. It's there. And when you speak the truth, there's something about it. It's like a bell. It resonates with people. And the church contains that, the fullness of truth. Pope Benedict XVI, um, I don't know if you've read, you may have read a lot of what he has written extensively on that. In my opinion, he'll one day become a doctor of the church, a brilliant man. <laughs> However, in the world, if you say to somebody in our circles, professional circles, there is such a thing as absolute truth. They'll look at you like you're crazy. You're a fundamentalist. You're nuts. No. Two plus two is four in Canada. Two plus two is, in, is four in Africa. Two plus two is four in America. Talk in North New Jersey? It, it's five in New Jersey. <laughs> it's five in New Jersey. But I'll tell you what. It's the truth. Talk about that, because I think that is an avenue that a lot of people, whether they realize it or not, are acknowledging God. And I think what you guys have been doing has been a gateway to that, because you're talking about universal truths without using the God term. Please expand on that and how that, I think, resonates with human beings. So when... I was about 26. I met Jordan when I was eight years old. So we were we were childhood friends. So I knew him. We were in the same classroom. We played, you know, baseball and in the in the neighborhood. But then I left home. And so did he. I think he was maybe 16 when he left home. Uh, I was 18. But when I was 26, uh, he asked me to marry him a couple of times. I said, not, not yet. I never said no, but I said not yet because I wasn't ready. And finally I was ready. I thought I can't put this off any longer. And uh, I've probably been mm, misdirected in thinking I should put it off this long. So I went, so I went to Montreal to see him. I was in Ottawa. It's only two hour drive away. And I hung around him for a bit, and then he asked me to marry him again. And uh, I said yes this time, which kind of shocked him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then he didn't know what to do. <laughs> because <laughs> you said say, yes, and he was blown away. <laughs> what do I do now? He was caught, right? He was caught by them. He chased me until I caught him. <laughs> oh, that's great. But he said, you know, we can't get married unless we tell the truth. 
I said, oh, wow, no, no one's ever said that to me before. So I went home back to Ottawa. I had to finish my degree. I had a semester left. And so I, I thought about that. I, I carried, I'd, I'd been given a, a New Testament Bible when I was in CGIT when I was 13. I was given a Bible. So I carried it and I had it with me, right? So I kept it with me, which is interesting. So I carried it on the inside pocket of my coat for those six months. And I looked at my life to see what I was doing, if everything was okay. And if I was leading a, a, a good life and it seemed like I was leading a good life. And I thought maybe I could do this, tell the truth. And so I went back to him and I said, yes, let's get married and I'll tell the truth. And that was the basis for our marriage was that we were going to tell the truth. And so we started down that path and tried to share everything that was on our minds. And if we shared what was on our minds, we discussed what had come up until we had a resolution. And so we we tried not to leave anything under the rug. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't complete. It wasn't complete. Uh, I was telling the truth, but I still could think things and maybe not do things that I thought I should do, sins of omission. So I was still um, not exactly mm, devote, so devoted that I wasn't making any errors, or if I was making errors, trying to write them right away uh, through prayer and through, you know, getting down on my knees and admitting that I'm a sinner. So I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. I was still skating around thinking, well, you know, I can probably run this show and I, I can probably uh, get things done and I can figure this out. And so although I was trying to tell the truth, I still had my, my hand on the driver's driving wheel, right? I was still going down, careening down the road, you could say, <laughs> careening down the road. And, uh, but I didn't do too bad. I got married. I got married. So that was good. And I had two kids, which I really wanted. I really wanted children. So I had my two kids. And so things were good. Um, you know, my daughter became ill when I, when she was young. And that shook me because I had some wild idea when I was young that I would get married to the perfect man and I would have perfect children, right? Because I was this young, naive woman. And I wasn't going to make the mistakes my parents made. You know, I wasn't going to make the mistakes my parents made. In fact, when I left them, I told them I wasn't coming back. And that's a sign, right? That's a sign that you'll be back in no time flat when you stomp your feet and tell the world what you're going to do. Uh, so I had my kids. I was married. I was, uh, I'd been through university. I'd graduated. Uh, and I think graduation from university was important because you have to graduate in order to go to a, the next level. You, if you quit before you're you're done, then you just repeat the mistake. You're just repeating the mistakes of the past. So I graduated. I began being a massage therapist, and I did that massage therapy until really my kids were born, and then I didn't really have a lot of patience for my clients because. I was so tired and busy with my kids. People, clients would come who were in pain and I'd think, yeah, you think you're tired, I'm tired. And I thought, well, I better not do this massage therapy, this work while my kids are young. So I stayed home with my kids, uh, which I wanted to do anyway. And, you know, I wanted to baptize my kids. 
but I didn't do it. And I wanted to take my kids to church, but I didn't do it. I decided not to pay attention to those things that meant a lot to me. Um, for some reason, I didn't feel that what I wanted and needed was, <laughs> was important enough that I had to put it into action. Uh, I didn't take my intuition as sacred and understand that those things that are deep inside me that that I want, they're not actually mine. They're some, they come from a place uh, of knowing that is given to me and I was still wasn't there, right? I still wasn't there. So no baptism and no church for my children or for us. And, you know, that's the way it goes. I, I, I take responsibility for it. That's all you can do. I can take responsibility for it. I don't blame anyone because it was my choice. And uh, I think that that's an important thing to understand when you go through your life and you look back on what's happened you have to take responsibility for it and let all those other people go that you would like to blame and realize that uh, we have a hand in our destiny and we have a hand in what next step we're taking. We have to pay attention. Are we taking that next step because we're inspired to take it or are we taking it because we want control or, or, we're, um, or we're greedy or, you know, all, all the things, all the sins that we can commit or we're lustful or whatever it is that, that we're after. If we can step back from that and understand that we could pause and find out what it is that comes from deep inside us, and it might not be something we want to do, but that that is the right thing to do, then our lives go a lot better. But I wasn't there yet. I wasn't there yet. I was in my 30s and I was still running the show. I thought that I, and you know, I was pretty healthy. I was pretty healthy. My kids, my daughter wasn't so healthy. That was a problem, but I was still pretty healthy. So I thought maybe I was doing all right. And that took me for quite a while until later for both Jordan and I, when mm, when things started to change in our society, because when things started to change in our society, then, you know, Jordan was a clinical psychologist and he'd come home and he'd say, oh, you know, my clients, they're being bothered at work. You know, the the uh, one of them was working in a bank and uh, the management was asking them to follow some political correct doctrines and uh, DEI was, was starting to be... Uh, instilled in the university and he was starting and he was starting to feel hemmed in he was starting to feel hemmed in and he came down one morning and he said oh I'm I feel like maybe I should say something publicly and I said yeah I said uh you've been talking about this stuff to me for 30 years why don't you talk publicly let's see what happens and that was the day that he put out a video saying that he would not pay attention to compelled speech 
that as far as he was concerned, his words were his words and they were sacred and there was no way he would say someone else's words. And it just went viral. And Damn. Tammy, let's leave it there for a second. We're going to take yeah, a yeah. quick break, okay? And then we're going to come back because we're going to pick up on that about truth. Remember that, you know, because we're glad you touched on that. Uh, so Tammy Peterson is with us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Now, please uh, download the app from Veritas. Share it with your friends if you're watching this on social media, Rumble, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Um, we are on Facebook and YouTube until they shut us down, of course, which we know they will uh, at some point in the future. But in the meantime, share it, help us out. We have Tammy Peterson here on the topic of truth and her conversion to the Catholic Church. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We have another great segment with Tammy. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, we're way in the breach with Tammy Peterson, and we're discussing her conversion to the Catholic Church and a couple of other things. Tammy, we promise we're not going to get you in too much trouble, all right? But then again, I don't know, between you and your husband, you're probably always getting in trouble. But either way, I want to pick up where we left off. Here's where I'm going with this, and I'm going to throw it right back over to you. Do you think St. John starts his gospel, in the beginning was the word. If you read it in English, it's the word, but he wrote it in Greek. And in Greek, the word is logos. And if you look at the definition in a Greek dictionary, logos has a lot of different meanings. There's a lot of words you could use to describe logos. Truth is one of them. Order is another one. Rationality, reason. All these things are, are comprised, uh, are part of logos. Christ is obviously the logos incarnate. How much of what you were just discussing before the break, the rebellion against the truth, the rebellion against logos, do you see it that way? Just people just, I don't want to, I don't want to get too long-winded. You know where I'm going. I'm going to throw it over to you. Yes, it does look that way to me. And, and I do think, I mean, this has been happening over and over and over throughout history. I think since the enlightenment, people have, have taken it upon themselves through thinking that through reason that they could, uh, they could lead their own lives, and I practiced that when I was young in, in my own way, and I found that it led me uh, to sickness and nearly to death. And so I think what people are doing now, thinking that they don't have to adhere to truth, the word, uh, logos, they don't have to adhere to that. We will continue to veer off in a catastrophic direction, no matter what we do, if we don't pay attention to the logos. Uh, there's it, it. It looks completely. It looks obvious to me now. I, I wouldn't have understood this. I'm sure years ago, but traveling all over the world too, and talking to people and seeing them. Listen, listen to my husband. And when he says that we have to 
take responsibility for ourselves and through taking on responsibility, which is taking on, taking our cross and picking up our cross and bearing it, that's responsibility. We will find the meaning of our life there and people's, and it's dead silent in the room. No one says a thing, it's quiet and he knows they're listening and that it resonates with them. And it's, it's quite fascinating because he'll talk for an hour and a half, but when he says that, you could hear a pin drop in the room. People think, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. They, they know it. They know it deep down because we have a Judeo-Christian past. Everyone has it. It's whether, whether it's taught to us or not, it's there. Now, it's a lot easier if we're taught it. It's a lot easier to find your way if you know the scripture. But anybody can pick up the Bible at any point and find uh, a book and a, and a passage and read it and find meaning there. So, yeah. Thank you for that, Tammy. Joe Racinello. I want to unpack a couple things you said regarding the point when you and your husband said, we're going to go public and we're going to speak the truth. A couple Bible verses popped in my head. Jesus tells Peter, get out of the boat and you will walk on water. What? What? And he does. We need to get out of the boat. All people need to get out of the boat. We're afraid. We like our little comfortable life. No, Christ is calling us to something great. That's one. Two, Jesus is talking to fishermen. He's a carpenter. They went out and they got nothing. And he says, no, throw the net off the other side. I'm from New Jersey. This is what New Jersey fishermen would have said to him. I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. You stick to hammer and nails. I'll catch the fish. But Peter said, because you said it, I'm going to do it. It made no sense. But they caught fish. There is the point that every person has to realize and make that step. And when we do and get in that space of being uncomfortable, there is where the grace of God comes in. And that's where we will bear fruit. But that takes that jumping out. And one last comment, and then I'm going to give it over to you. This is what every person needs to do. And they have to realize that. This is the call to the world. Your comments on that, because ultimately you took a right-hand turn. You could have had that comfortable life. Your, your, your husband's doing well. He's doing his thing. He said, no, I'm going to do something else. And boom, there's the lightning. Talk about it. So there's one thing, there's one thing I wanted to say about telling the truth you know when something bothers you often you think you know people say these things all the time my kids you know my kids are going to school and uh i don't like what's being taught there i don't like that they should they should be teaching what i learned when i was a kid so say say that's that and they talk about it they talk about it with their friends they talk about it with or with their families but they don't do anything about it. It's something that nags at them every morning and every night, but they don't do anything about it. That's their problem. 
that's their problem with and it's not something they want to do because it makes them mad it makes them mad and they don't like what's happening there there's something about not liking what's happening there that's a sign it's a sign it's like the burning bush and it's a place where if you attend to that place you will find the meaning of your life and when jordan <laughs> was bothered by what was going on in his clinical practice the the people who were complaining about their workplaces and it was nagging at him he saw that as a reason for him to speak out and so that was his burning bush moment where he saw something that called to him and it was uh, uh it was annoying he could have just complained about it and done nothing but he didn't he decided that he would speak publicly and when he spoke publicly then there was an answer because it wasn't just him who was bothered lots of people were bothered by this but nobody had done anything yet it just so happened that he made the first action in response to what was going on in our society and put his hand up and said actually i disagree and many people many people hmm, didn't want him to say that but there were many people who did want him to say what he said and so it brought it got brought the conversation to the front and and it's been at the front ever since and that was yeah. 2017 let me stay yeah. there let me stay there one second uh, because it's, it's just a common theme uh a constant theme on our show is the need not to simply defend defending is one thing but we were talking about truth we were talking about relativism we were talking about the lies that are told talk about as to use uh, joe's image of getting out of the boat if you're in the boat you're defending you're hunkered down you're just trying to defend yourself against the waste you get out of the boat you start attacking the lies. You start attacking the falsehoods out there. All the, all the, 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 all of the. I don't want to use the word. Let's call it BS. Okay. Let's. I think that that's important in what you guys are doing. Is you're not just simply defending. You're you're attacking what is obviously wrong. Talk about and again, you know, along the lines of what you were just saying, the need to attack the lies, not people, but those horrible ideas that are out there. Now it's it's tricky, you know. Um, Jordan, I was behind Jordan. I was supporting him, and my kids were supporting him too. So he felt supported in the moment where he spoke out publicly that I was going to that I wouldn't turn against him or or um, abandon him. That I would stay there. And my son was home from college and he was at the house too. And he was staying, you know, so he had, he, and that's the thing. If you, you need to have community. So that was partly what church was about was that you had community, that you had people that you could, uh, that you could talk to when you were worried or, or, um, or fearful and people have become, uh, you know, the, the way our society has been set up, People are on their own a lot more than they used to be. And I think that uh, change in our society has made it less likely that people will speak out because if you're not feeling like someone's got your back, then 
it's a lot more difficult for you to stick your neck up. I mean, and there there are sayings, I don't know the sayings exactly, but the one who sticks his neck up first is the one who gets his head cut off. So you so people know that. They know that instinctually. So what people need to do is to find people who are supportive and talk to them and support them and understand that we're that this is a has to be a concerted effort it's not you can't sit at home and think about it and not share your worries you have to talk to someone tell them what you're concerned about first of all to get your thinking straight you can because you can't do this on your own no one can do this on their own so the more that you talk about things the straighter you'll you'll understand when you run up against trouble and you'll understand if what you're saying is getting through to anyone. And so you have to practice. And you know, there's a, the practice of prayer. There's uh, there's all kinds of practice that we have in this world. And you need to practice. You need to practice telling the truth. And you can start with little things. You can start with little things at home that you aren't too afraid of and tell the truth about those things. And the more you practice telling the truth, the more likely it'll be that you'll be able to speak up when something happens that really needs attention. But if you hide all, even the little things, if you hide those things and don't share them or let them go or turn the other cheek, then you won't be ready when you actually have to tell the truth. So yes, practice every day with all, with everything telling the truth. Danny Peterson is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing her conversion to the Roman Catholic Church on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Joe Resinello. There's so much that you've said, um, and I want to circle back to basically a theme that you kept repeating. I wasn't ready yet. I think that's a common theme with many people. And what I have found in my life is when you come to the end of yourself, that's when Christ says, and now we begin professional people, successful people, Western people, we're not there. Go to the so-and-so third world. I've seen a lot of it. They live there. They know God. We trust our bank accounts, our refrigerators, and our comforts. When we come to the end of ourselves, and many times that's where suffering comes in. And I'm going to lead this into this aspect of the conversation because I think you have a lot to say. I know you have a lot to say on it um, because you discuss it when you and your husband tour. Christ gives meaning to suffering, and suffering is a common denominator amongst every human being on this earth, and only Christianity and Jesus Christ gives meaning to it. No other religion in the way that Christ does gives meaning to that. He also gives meaning to death, which scares the living bejesus out of people, especially successful people, especially Western people. Talk about that, coming to the end of yourself, embracing suffering, and how that can be beneficial. Because I think that is a missing link for Western people when it comes to accepting Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church. You know, we have pretty um, cushy life in the West. We have infrastructure that keeps all of us safe and warm and fed and uh so people think, you know, 
that they're they're comfortable. They're comfortable and nothing's going to get them <laughs> because everything's taken care of. We even have, uh, in Canada, we even have uh, health care that's paid for. And so far, it's it's not working as well anymore, but so far. And so it's no wonder that we are tricked into thinking that that we don't need to get down on our knees. And for myself, I I definitely lived that life. I did have a place with my husband and I was feeling secure. You know, I went on tour with him and I sat in the crowd for the first tour. I, I worked in logistics. I made sure he got there and he was fed and had a nap and all of that, made sure that he got there on time and all of that. But I used to sit in the crowd and I listened. I listened. It was many, many nights. It might have been 250 nights. So I listened to all his lectures. And, you know, I hadn't really listened that much. I'd always left him alone in his office to do his work. Uh, I didn't bother him. Uh, I made sure that he had his time he needed to, to work. But I, and he talked to me when we had discussions, but I hadn't really, really attended and sat there and listened to everything he had to say. And he he did speak a lot about biblical stories, uh, not as much as he's doing now, but he was, he was speaking quite a bit in, about how the Bible teaches us what we need to know. And I listened, but I was wondering I was wondering what I was doing sitting in the audience, listening to all of this, but I listened, even though I wondered why I was there. And during that time, I was diagnosed with uh, renal cell carcinoma in my left kidney. And I was told that it doesn't, it's not a cancer that kills people. It, it's uh, treatable, it's treatable, and that I didn't have to rush home for surgery. So we didn't. Uh, but at the end of the tour, we, we went home and I uh, I had surgery. And after a month, I was feeling pretty good. I was getting a lot better and I started to get a pain in my side. And uh, I went back to the surgeon and they had looked more carefully at what had happened to me. And they did another and they biopsied what they had taken out of me and they found out that I had a rare type of cancer that was uh, lethal, that uh, it was terminal, and that I had, they told me I had 10 months to live. So I was in the office with my husband, and we were pretty shocked. So was the surgeon. He, he wasn't, uh, he was, he was, uh, he was shaking. His hands were shaking. I could tell, I could tell that he was not uh, confident about the prognosis that he was giving me. And uh, he said that this type of cancer, people don't survive it, that they usually diagnose it after they're dead. And I went home to tell my son. Uh, my son lived at the end of the street with his wife. And I went home and I had pretty much decided that this was uh, a reasonable prognosis that my mother and her siblings and everyone had died young and that maybe I would die young. So I 
in my in my uh, customary way, I thought it was up to me to accept the prognosis. But I went home and I told my son and I looked in his eyes when I told him and I saw a profound grief uh, and a love for his mother that was that was infinitely bigger than the love I had for myself. And at that point, I felt a worthiness, a worthiness to live in order to serve my son and my family. And I felt cynicism and self-doubt lift off my shoulders. I didn't know what it was, but that in, in the following years, that's what I've come to understand is that that was what was holding me down. It was holding my shoulders down and that lifted up and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I realized that it was not up to me. It was only up to God. In fact, it wasn't even up to the doctors. It was only up to God, whether I lived or died. And it was up to me to accept treatment gratefully and to be grateful for any help that would come my way and for me to pray and accept my illness as necessary and the next right thing. And so I just decided that that's how I would live my life. And so that's how I have lived now for the last four years is that I get up in the morning and I ask for God's will. And if there are any challenges for me that day, I am grateful for them and try to uh, set my set myself right with my higher power and go through the day, hoping that I will be aware enough that if something comes up, I can attend to it properly and uh, be of service. So in, 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 a, minute, in a minute, yeah. that's what I did. <laughs> Tammy Peterson's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Man, we could talk to you for hours. Unfortunately, we probably have about five minutes left. We are talking about your conversion to the Catholic Church. So here's what I want to do. I want to throw over the last several minutes to you, but on this. What you just described to me smacks of humility. And you mentioned earlier about getting on your knees, and that requires humility. Okay, because a prideful person doesn't get on their knees to pray to God, doesn't need God. So I want you to talk about that humility and and segue from that, if you would, into what the rosary uh, and praying the rosary, that contemplative prayer that the church gives us, uh, how important that was in your journey. And you got this floor for like the last four minutes, Tammy. Thank you. So when I was in the hospital for complications, because they did surgery. They couldn't find, I had a leak in my abdomen from when they took all the lymph out. 
uh, they couldn't find the leak. And I was, uh, my life, uh, my life was draining from, from me. Uh, I went down 30, 30 pounds, 35 pounds. I was really skin and bone. Uh, they put me in the hospital and they were going to try to give me nutrition through my heart uh, to try to get some get some energy back in my body. It took me three days and I woke up and realized that I was in the hospital and in a dire way. And one of my one of my friends, she wasn't a great friend. She was just kind of someone who had she'd come into our lives when Jordan was first public. She wanted some help in a political stance. She was taking taking a, taking a stand against the uh, um, politically correct school curriculum. And, but then she would come and she would leave maple syrup on our doorstep and stuff. She was just being nice. She's just being nice to us. Well, when I went into the hospital, she walked into my room with a rosary that she had that had been blessed by the Pope. Uh, and she asked me, if I wanted to pray the rosary. And I said, yes, that I did. And she said, oh, so you know what the rosary was? And uh, I did. I knew what the rosary was, but I'd never prayed it before. And so every morning at 10 in the morning for five weeks, she came to the hospital and prayed the rosary with me and taught me to pray it together. And she would ask me who I wanted to pray for. And you know, I'd pray for my mother. My mother was passed away. So then I'd pray for our ancestors or I'd pray for my uh, husband. And so then I'd pray for all fathers or I'd pray for my children and I'd pray for all kids. And so I, so she taught me to pray and I would tell her my life story and cry uh, because I had been through so much suffering by then but and crying is good because it gets <laughs> gets you through things uh but the the rosary she taught me to she taught me for five weeks and then she left the rosary with me and i continued to pray it every morning and that's where my yoga practice i think if there was anything to take away from that it was the practice of meditation I turned it into a practice of prayer, and uh, it was it was seamless for me to get up in the morning and pray. And so, every morning I get up in the morning and I pray. And you know, sometimes God gives you a challenge right in the morning, <laughs> right in the morning. So the other day I was, uh, I got up in the morning, and I went to get a drink of water that I need in the morning, and the water was gone. My husband had drank it, and I said uh, to myself, uh, how dare he drink my water? And I could feel some resentment, and I thought, where, now, where did that come from? Uh, I thought, oh, I think I have to go to the doctor today, so maybe I'm a little bit nervous, and so I'm being angry. So I prayed the rosary and asked Mother Mary to take this resentment from me, and uh, and she did. And that was the morning that my daughter's 
little girl who's six was going off to school on Monday morning and then she would go stay with her dad for the week because they're divorced. But my daughter is pregnant and she's very emotional. And she said that when her daughter leaves on Monday morning, it really, it really breaks her heart. And so we went out into the kitchen and got the little girl a steak and then we were seeing her off at the door. And my husband was distracted by something on his phone. And I gently, without any resentment or anything, just said, well, you know, we're attending right now to my daughter and her daughter because she's leaving for school. And and he, you know, was there present. And the daughter left. My daughter cried. I held her. I was able to hold her. I don't see her very often. I was able to hold her and tell her that, you know, uh, that it is sad that, that she goes and it's okay to cry and that it's good to find a hug when you need to cry because it's not good to cry alone. And that moment, that just small moment of being with the rosary in the morning so that I could set my mind straight in, into the goodness and the right direction gave me the grace to attend to my husband when he needed to attend to the moment in a gentle manner and not cause any trouble. Tammy, I apologize. We have to leave it there. Like I that said, we it. could talk. This has been a this has been a fabulous conversation, Joe. Joe and I, like I said, I'm not exaggerating. I say we're overjoyed you came on the show. We're overjoyed that you are in the Catholic Church. And needless to say, if you would if if you would want to come back, um, you are welcome back at the front line with Joe and Joe anytime, sister. Thank you very much. It was very it was great. I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> and what I will do is. I, we, I have all of uh, Tammy's social media links. She is a very well-known podcaster in her own right. So we're going to post wherever you see this. Tammy's links will be in the description box, whether it's on Rumble, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Thank you again, Tammy Peterson. Thank you all out there for joining Thank us you. on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.